0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Then and Now Sports Podcast. Nick, we are going to dive and mainly focus in on college football today because we are smack in the middle of the season. A lot of ups, a lot of downs at this season. It's definitely been a peculiar, interesting season that we will probably never see again. We have to start with probably the game of the year so far in college football. It was the game that... Uh, well, I mean, we'll get into the whole game, but do you think this game had more hype than Georgia-Alabama early on in the
1: season? It, it's tough because, um, because you know, C- Trevor Lawrence was out, but maybe that adds to the hype. It added to the hype for me, Um, seeing DJ go out there and, and going against a top team in the nation. I really wanted to see what he had. But, yeah, whatever hype there was, it definitely lived up to it and more. And I, I just got to say it outright. I think Clemson is is set for the next four years when it comes to QBs. Well, we'll, we'll get into that. But what we
0: think, prob- I, I'll probably agree with you that it's, it was more hype than Georgia-Alabama. I think this was the most hyped game, and it delivered. Went to two overtimes. Notre Dame holds off Clemson 47-40. to 40. It, This game was all over the place. I mean, Notre Dame got off to a, a great start with a 65-yard touchdown by Kyron Williams, who has been probably the most important player for Notre Dame all season long. Of course, Ian been is the quarterback, and that's the position that's going to get the most scrutiny, but Kyron Williams and this running game has been the reason behind Notre Dame's success for the most part, in my opinion, but getting through the rest of the game, it just was back and forth, a lot of crazy plays. How about that Etienne fumble that landed right in the arms of one of the Notre Dame D linemen, and he takes it for a touchdown. Uh, Then you get later in the game, the Ian Book fumble in the end zone. Then Ian Book, with a minute left, connects with Avery Davis for a huge play downfield. I I mean, Nick, I'm talking too much because I just had a blast watching and covering this game. What were your
1: takeaways from this game? Um my takeaways were as you mentioned with Travis Etienne I, he was mostly subdued like for the game and honestly against Boston College he he wasn't up to his usual standard either so it's been very interesting to see how Trevor Lawrence's absence kind of affects the whole offensive dynamic of this team and listen I got to give credit where credit's due um even though I I believe the the Clemson secondary didn't play like, up to par, and they had some injuries, but Ian Book put on a show, like, it wasn't, like, we, we talked, you just talked about how, um, you know, Notre Dame's been heavily dependent on the running game, and that's what's been taking a lot of pressure off of him, so he doesn't, so games don't have to be put um, in his hands like in previous years, but, you know, he came out, and he was efficient, he was solid, and even under Prencher, he, w- he kept performing, so hats off to him.
0: My biggest takeaway is the fact that Notre Dame is a legit powerhouse. And I think it all starts in the trenches. I think their front seven, their offensive line, they are physical, they are dominant, they are powerful in the trenches. And I think that's what takes over these games for them, especially talking about an ACC conference, which I don't know if there's that many great pass rushers coming out this year for the draft this year from ACC. Even look at Clemson. Clemson's got a very young defensive line, so they weren't ready for an experienced veteran offensive line that Notre Dame had. So I think that's a really big... uh, that, that puts Notre Dame over the top, I think. And I think that puts them into these legit... Hey, can they beat Alabama? Can they beat Clemson? Well, they beat Clemson. Can they beat a team like Ohio State? I think this performance showed that they're capable of beating these teams. But, Nick, uh, I think something we do have to obviously bring up is the fact that Trevor Lawrence didn't play this game. And what do you think, I guess I'm asking for a prediction, but what do you think Notre Dame's chances are? Because these teams are going to have to meet again more likely than not, unless Clemson just collapses. But it's most likely going to be Notre Dame and Clemson in the ACC championship. Does Clemson have enough with Trevor Lawrence to take down Notre Dame? Or can Notre Dame upset Clemson once again?
1: I think it's going to be a lot harder with Trevor Lawrence as much as DJ has impressed. um, I I can tell you that Trevor Lawrence is just more polished to this point. And, you know, he's just, he's an elite quarterback prospect as simple as that. So it's definitely going to be a lot tougher when this offense is really clicking on old, all cylinders. And, you know, they don't have to face someone who was just playing in their second start in college. So yeah, it's going to be a lot tougher, but, you know, I I could see them still putting up a fight and, you know, even if they lose that game, they're still going to have a good resume if they win the rest of their games for the college football playoffs. So I'm definitely not sleeping on this team in matchups against other good teams this year.
0: So last week without Trevor Lawrence was the first time since November of 2018 in which Clemson only scored one one touchdown in the first half. So let's compare this to last week. Sorry, I got to pull up the box score real quick. I think they scored one touchdown again in the first half. Yes, they did against Notre Dame. So this is two weeks in a row. And I, I know that's a bit of a weird stat. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I think in college, especially with a team like Clemson, they win their games in the first half. I think when you come out and you dominate you put up 20 to 30 points in the first half first quarter second quarter and just overpower the other team it takes out their will to keep playing into the second half and make that big jump and that big comeback so i think once trevor lawrence gets back i think they're going to go back to really dominating the first half of games and i think that's gonna be a big problem for notre dame i don't think they're ready for trevor lawrence as good as they played DJ still had a tremendous game. He looked outstanding. I know. And Notre Dame's defense, you know, you would have liked to see it a bit of a better performance. And not to say they were bad because they played Ben, but don't break defense. And I think that's something that's a respectable way of playing that's a, that gets the job done, right? You beat the number one team holding them to three points because there was a lot of Clemson drives that ended in field goals and with touchdown, rather than touchdowns. When Trevor Lawrence comes back, a lot of those drives will be ending with touchdowns rather than field goals. So Notre Dame earned their win. They deserve the credit they're getting. But when you see
1: Trevor Lawrence in December, we're going to be talking about a whole different story. They should have given DJ more help, man. It's crazy. Like, honestly, I guess that's just, that's just the factor with Trevor Lawrence, like being on the field and getting those first half leads, like you said, but like every time, like it felt like, it felt like when plays needed to be made, like, you know, to to further the game, to further like a win for Clemson, it just felt like DJ had to step up every single time. And that's a lot to put on a guy in a second start. So I, I felt kind of bad for him. I'm not going to lie. Felt bad. He's got two of the, you know how many pu- uh, quarterbacks would
0: kill for Amari Rogers as their starting receiver, Travis Etienne? Uh, no, but, uh, okay, I get Cornell that. Cornell Powell has been huge for Clemson. He's been, he'll it, be a starting
1: receiver on any other team. There's there's a difference between having those players and those players performing up to their standard, and some of those players didn't. I mean, I guess Etienne wasn't the monster back that he usually is, but, I mean, he,
0: he still had an impact in the passing game. He didn't really run the ball well, but that's a good rush oh, yeah, defense. No, but like, has. Like I brought up their front seven. It's a It's a good unit. But I I get that I get that DJ hasn't had you know a great all round team effort because the defense has been getting shredded over the past two weeks. But that they also lost a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball, so they're not yeah, fully healthy on defense either. I so know. we're talking about that. Trevor Lawrence and there's there's a bunch of other guys that need to get back for Clemson for this second half run. Well, not even second half; but they're pretty much done. They got a couple games left and then get ready for Notre Dame and potentially the playoff. But any other thoughts on this game? Uh, how, like, what were you thinking in overtime? Did you give Notre Dame? Did you? So here's where I kind of crossed Notre Dame off. Notre Dame actually had two shots to win this game or tie this game in the fourth quarter. And they actually went, there was a ball that fell right out of their receiver's hands. I can't remember which one, but Ian Book laid a nice throw on fourth down. and This guy just dropped it. And that's when I thought they had no, I, I was ready to call this game for Clemson. But what did
1: you think about Notre Dame down the stretch? Well, in the fourth quarter, I thought they weren't gonna pull it out because once they got down to the goal line on the possession that they did convert, I was like they're struggling on um at the goal line all all day. Obviously, I don't have stats for that on on hand, but like they they were struggling a lot. Like they had a lot of opportunities to really honestly run it up on Clemson and they and they didn't take advantage of those opportunities. So I, I thought they were just going to miss another opportunity and um, Clemson was going to take it away from them, but they didn't, they stepped up. So good for them. Four field goals in this game from 30 yards or less. So what that tells you is yeah, these
0: teams, when it got closer and closer for both teams, both defenses really settled down in the red zone. And I, I really admire that for it because in, we're in a football landscape now that defense is uh. Is not the focus. It's all about offense and all about these quarterbacks. So for a defense to at least show that we're going to make you fight to get into the end zone, you definitely love to see that out of any team. That's, That's what you want out of your defense in today's game. But let's move on now. We got a lot of other college football topics to talk about. And the AP Top 25 is released. In this Top 10, we have a team that's pretty interesting sitting at number 8, which is the BYU Cougars, who are 8-0. and They're behind Cincinnati, another group of five team. They're behind Texas A&M in Florida, but BYU is 8-0. and They have an offense and defense that is top 10 in both points per game and points per game allowed. So they are a very balanced unit that has been demolishing teams by an average score of 45-13. to 13. Nick, I know the schedule is a problem, but what is your feeling, your lean towards the BYU Cougars?
1: Are they a legit team, or are they just beating up on an easy schedule? Well, if you saw the um, Instagram graphic we, we put up this week, you would know how James stands on this, but I actually agree with you. I think they are that good. Now, is that going to translate to a college football playoff spot? I I have a hard time seeing it happen with um especially you know Notre Dame and Clemson, um depending on how that game goes, Notre Dame could sneak in as a four, Florida's still in it, like you have all these power five conference teams like just just in it and, and like it's so tough because we we've seen this before and we've gotten burned before with certain teams when you have these power five teams playing at at least like you know, second best in their conference, or you know, they, they pick up a loss against the top opponent, they're gonna get the benefit of the doubt over a team like BYU. But yes, I, I really like BYU. Zach Wilson is becoming like a real NFL quarterback prospect. I would probably put him in my top four now. Might even be top three by the end of the year. They they have a lot there's a lot to like on this football team. So here's
0: my take. And like you brought up in my top 10 rankings, my top, my bowl projections, I have BYU at fifth, but I wouldn't have them in the playoff because I do think the way that Clemson and Notre Dame is going to shape out, I think it's going to be really difficult to take out Notre Dame for a BYU team when Notre Dame has beaten Clemson and made it to the ACC championship. It's tough to do that. So I would lean towards Notre Dame in that scenario. Now, there's only one other scenario in which I would take a team over BYU. So, say Notre Dame loses two times. Say they lose to Boston College this weekend and then lose to Clemson. They're out, right? Yeah. I think a way you could take BYU out again. This is just me talking, by the way, because I think Cincinnati is ranked above BYU in in a lot of cases, as is Texas A&M. So, there are people who think way different than me. But for me personally, if I was putting the playoff together... BYU is my next team up if Notre Dame starts to fall or if Clemson, matter of fact, if Clemson loses another game, I, you know, you would have to legit, legitimately argue if BYU has to get in over Clemson. Um, I think that taking out, putting in Florida is a legit possibility because Florida, if they beat Alabama and they're the sec champs, they're in. I mean, I don't think it's, I think it's really tough to keep them out of it with a win over Alabama and the sec championship. But then it's like, you can't really take out Alabama either because they've been almost number one undisputed best team all year long. It's tough. It is a very tough scenario, but I would have BYU as a team that I'm, I'm ready to put in. Here's my scenario that I get BYU in the playoff, right? Notre Dame loses twice. Alabama beats Florida. In that scenario, me personally, if I'm making the playoff, I have BYU as my fourth team there. I would have Clemson has three, probably Ohio State two and Bama at one with BYU four. that. That's just if that's specific, if that's how it plays out. But of course, it's never going to play out how we think it is. But I I do think BYU is a legitimate playoff contender. Before I end this rant, I'll end this rant on this, which is probably going to get people up in arms. They remind me a lot from last year of Ohio State and LSU in terms of the fact that they are so dominant on both sides of the ball. That is what made Ohio State and LSU and even Clemson last year very intriguing. The fact that they were so complete on both sides of the ball. They, were, they all had great quarterbacks and they all had great defenses. This is what BYU has this year. And I know the best team they're going to beat is Boise State. And the second best team is going to be Houston. And that is not very exciting for most people. But I still think they've done enough. With what's been in front of them, they've they've blown everybody out. What else can you ask for them to do with that schedule? You know what I mean. If you're gonna complain about the schedule, at least you know be aware of the fact that they beat up all these teams. They've only had one one possession game all season long. So for me personally, I'm I love BYU and I'm ready to get them in the playoff, barring a
1: couple other things to happen. I like that rant. the The only correction I would make is. You shouldn't have brought up Alabama not making the playoff because now Nick Stamen is preparing a speech for the college football selection show and he's just gonna he's just gonna convince everybody that Alabama deserves to be in. Oh so you shouldn't God. have done imagine that. imagine <laughs> the committee has to decide between Alabama and
0: BYU. I mean, we know which way they're gonna go, but I mean it would be insane just to the fact that people would be like, Well, BYU actually has a, a case or whatever, but they'll be like, Nah, Alabama, you know. Just Alabama slide right in there.
1: Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like we've seen a similar situation with uh, with uh UCF over the past few years. They they were in a very similar scenario mm-hmm. and they never got in. And I that's just how I see it from it's, the BYU it's definitely perspective. Comparable.
0: It's a comparable situation, but I, I also think you have to realize that every year is different, right? And some years there is a team that is more more complete more of a better resume than a team like UCF this year there are not that many teams and I guess you can credit it to the pandemic and all the crazy stuff that's happened surrounding this season but there are not too many teams who I think have played better than BYU over the course of 2020 so I just think that's where we gotta every year comes down to what we value right so it's gonna be what what do you value in this year's 2020 season or especially now that there's no non That's another thing. The non-conference games killed them because they're an independent team. And they had some a game against Nebraska set up. They had a couple of uh, power five teams to play and they won't even get those games. So who knows how they would have fared there, but it would have been crazy games. You know, we could have gotten a real understanding and I understand the fact that BYU may not be that great just because they're playing bad teams. I think the combined record of their opponents is 20 and 27, so it's not very good, but in terms of a team like Cincinnati, I don't see what Cincinnati has done that makes them a whole heck of a lot better than BYU. They, they've also dominated, to be fair. They actually haven't had one one-possession game. All of their wins have been by more than two touchdowns, so credit to them. They play in a tougher conference. But I, I just think we, we've all seen Zach Wilson step up as a Heisman guy. We've all seen that defense step oh, up. Oh, wait. Wait, you, you just what? said that? I'm surprised. He's a Heisman guy. I mean, I, I, maybe I
1: didn't face uh, no, it how I wanted to, yeah. but he's
0: definitely in the conversation.
1: 100%. I want to I I give some context right now. I, I asked James a week ago. If Zach, if there was any chance they would give it to Zach Wilson and he told me, no. So that just took me by well, surprise. He's a
0: guy that he's going to New York. I think, I think he's got a seat in New York. Does he have a shot at winning over Trevor Lawrence? And I guess Trevor Lawrence, now you can make the
1: argument because he missed a couple games, but I don't think Justin Fields is going to slow down anytime soon. I mean, no, it's definitely going to be going to be hard for him. I never said that, but I'm surprised you, you put him in the conversation now because you said he had no chance.
0: I I think he's in the conversation. I I
1: think he's a legitimate third guy. He's probably been the
0: third best player in college football this year. I personally don't think he's going to be by, by it's all said. I mean, he's played uh, Justin Fields only played two games, so it's tough to really compare him. But I mean, he's been electric through two games. Lawrence was uh, undisputedly the best player in college football until he went down with the Corona. So I just don't see where Zach Wilson gets to that level. I I think he's going to New York, though. I think he should be a guy who's invited to New York. He'll probably be voted third or fourth. But uh, uh, that's where I see him as a fringe Heisman guy. He's a Heisman guy.
1: He's not the Heisman. Also, I'm not going to make this a discussion, but Mac Jones is getting a seat, too. You know what's crazy? I
0: keep glossing over him, and it's because I personally don't think he... Has had, I mean, he's had a great season. Like the stats will tell you, he's had an unbelievable season and he's been great. But I, I don't have him in the, uh, like for when I think of Heisman, I really don't think of Mac Jones. And yeah, maybe, no, that's un, maybe I have to get back and watch more of him, but I, I have not seen a
1: Heisman season from Mac It's Jones. No, no, it's crazy to me too. And I agree with you in like, when I watch him, I don't see like a Heisman like level talent. I, I don't see like, you know, Joe Burrow or anything like that. But when you look at his stats, he's controlled this offense very well, you know, with other QBs missing games, depending on if Alabama goes undefeated, it's, he has a really good case for the Heisman Trophy. His stats are, I mean, I'm going to pull up the stats right now. I'm sure he leads
0: most passing stats. So yards per attempt, he's second. Uh, Yards, he's fourth. Touchdowns, he's, he's 11th. I mean, he's, he's. He's, I guess he kind of h- fell down a little bit because he, he had some crazy stats to start off the year. He's, yeah. So if he if you have at least five starts in terms of guys who have had five starts, he's leading the uh, the nation in completion percentage, uh, passer rating, efficiency rating. He's fourth, so he's among the top. But listen, he's he's among the top five to ten with pretty much all of these stats. So he's he's had a Heisman like season. I just don't. See a Heisman guy. I I see a guy who's playing efficient football, solid football. He has great receivers, and I think what those guys do after the catch kind of inflates those stats. I think when I mean Jalen Waddle was playing, he was a big yards after catch guy. As is Devontae Smith. I think those see, guys eat up a lot of grass with the ball in their hands.
1: You you've told me this before, but like I just can't I can't get behind like that that excuse because. Tua had amazing receivers. Joe Burrow had amazing receivers. There was no doubt last year that they were the two hot Heisman contenders. Like Nobody said, oh, Tua just has good receivers. I know it's different because Mac Jones plays the way he does, but I feel like, I feel like you just got to filter that out and just look at the performance. If he's performing well the way he's performing, then that's, that's just his way of playing and, and getting his team to victory. That's true. I mean, I, I'm trying
0: to be more open-minded when it comes to Mac Jones because I, I feel like a, a lot, maybe the way I go about it, like kind of dismissing him as a Heisman guy is unfair. And I think a lot of people think that he's a legitimate Heisman guy. He's going to go to New York instead of Zach Wilson. But from what I... You, and you're right, you know, the receivers, everyone plays with great receivers. You can't diminish what he's done because of it. But I just haven't seen the Heisman... If that makes any sense, the the big plays, the guy. So, I mean, Alabama hasn't had many of these situations, but if a guy's in the foxhole and you need a big play, this guy gets you that big play. And I just haven't seen it from Mac Jones yet, but I'm I'm open to be proven wrong. Regardless, I don't think Mac Jones or Zach Wilson have a chance at the highs. That's what I will say. They both can go to New York. Neither of them will have a chance to win it.
1: I, I think Zach Wilson has a little bit of a shot. if he If he performs like like he has all season, it's going to be very tough because there is no, I guess, Justin Fields, Justin Fields is really the main contender. There's nobody who's like as prolific as him as a player on their team playing at the consistently high level that he plays. I, I will say that. And that's the difference. like you said, with like a Mac Jones to a Zach Wilson, I would actually take Zach Wilson as the Heisman over Mac Jones. If, if they were put in front of me, but I still think that's a small chance and you know, it's probably either gonna be Justin Fields, maybe Mac Jones because of the um the conference the power five conference bias. But those are the only two that I can see with Zach Wilson.
0: Interesting. Well, we're gonna get more Heisman debate as the season goes on. I think a big thing with Heisman is gonna be does the missing games, does certain teams missing certain games have an impact on the race? Let's hope not. But oh, yeah. I mean, it's, we're, it's I so. everything's going to be on the table. So moving on, let's finish up college football with this one team, Nick, I want you to give me one team outside of the top 10 that has a chance of sneaking into the playoff or maybe sneaking into like legitimate discussion. So for example, a team like USC in 2016, had oh, got off to a horrible start, but by the end of the season, they were ranked sixth in the playoff, and had they not lost two games, they probably would have gotten into the playoff. So is, is there any team from the outside looking in that you could see by the last week of the season, by late December, like, oh, wow, that team's fifth or sixth. Like, they almost made the playoff, or maybe they did make the playoff. Any team like that, you see?
1: Well, I hate to say this after one game because – You know, we both got burned by Michigan after one game and I I really haven't recovered. I haven't felt the same since. And like, I'm just hesitant to like pick a team out of like these, you know, they're fresh. They they played that one game and they looked really good. And and you just want to ride that train and say they're going to make the playoff. I can't do that, but I will say as far as the the one team I can see the most I feel has the simplest path to that spot if they were to get it is Oregon. Like Oregon's story is simple. Like, yes, the Pac-12 is filled with teams that that can beat them, but I can also see on the other side them easily running the table and sweeping the Pac-12. And then they're that traditional Pac-12-4 team that gets that gets smoked in um in the first round. So I could definitely see that being a possibility. But besides that, it's very hard, especially with all these teams who haven't played games. It's really hard to judge. So here's my team. This is
0: a team that I think has gone a bit under the radar now that they lost a little bit early in the season. They've been forgotten. We were burned by them early in the season. How about Oklahoma going on a run down the stretch? They won't make the playoff. I think the Big 12's chances are done. But I think they're gonna win the Big 12. And I think they're gonna have if team listen, a bunch of teams start losing. If we're in a scenario that we can consider a two loss team for the playoff, Oklahoma's gotta be at the top of the list. They I listen, I know bad opponents, Texas Tech, Kansas. No one to go home writing about. But Oklahoma has put up sixty two points in back to back weeks. Three out of their last four games, they've scored at least 50 points. This offense is all the way back. Spencer Rattler has settled down now. He's got about 2,000 passing yards, 18 touchdowns to six interceptions. He's completing 67% of his passes. He had a rough start to the season. And he's a freshman. He's still a young guy. So it's not crazy to see why that tough start happened. But even then, they lost both of those games by one possession. So it's not like they were getting killed. That Kansas State game, they probably should have won. They kind of collapsed down the stretch. So this Oklahoma team, I think, has played a, put a lot of good football, a lot of good tape out there. And they got Oklahoma State in two weeks. I think they'll be ready. I think they'll win that game. And then I think whoever they get, I mean, they, they listen, they actually do need a couple of teams to start losing here. I think they, they need Kansas State to lose one more game. They need Oklahoma. They need to beat Oklahoma State and they need Iowa State to lose two games, actually. So it actually is a bit of a tougher call for them to make that run because they do need teams to start losing ahead of them. But I, I'm pretty confident in Oklahoma and I think they're a good team that we will be seeing inside the top 10 come December 19th or whenever it is that
1: they have the final rankings. I don't, I don't think that's a bad choice at all. Um I was thinking more playoff oriented but that's definitely a good choice as well. But like I said I think if we well. can consider
0: a two-loss team no, which is tough. I mean there 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 have been years though where like we are considering two-loss teams especially maybe a two-loss conference champion. I think if we get to that part if we get to team's losing like Notre Dame's going to have to lose a couple times uh Texas A&M Florida like they're going to have to lose a game Like, all these teams are going to have to start losing. BYU is going to have to lose. They only have two games left, so good luck getting them to lose. But I think if we can consider a two-loss team, Oklahoma is in that discussion. Another thing, I'm just looking at the AP, right? Like, they have Coastal Carolina and Marshall above Oklahoma. Like, I get they're undefeated, and they earned earned their rankings with an undefeated season. Uh, Respect to both of those programs, small programs that are getting it done. Respect them but come on, are, are we going to really try to be talked into the fact that those teams are better than Oklahoma? I know we we got burned by Oklahoma. It's kind of like what me and you got burned with Michigan, right? We all th- We thought Michigan was a great team and we thought they could go on a legitimate run this year, but then they came back down to earth. With Oklahoma, they're coming back down to earth, but in the good way, they're coming back to the team that we knew them as. They were ranked third coming into the season, so we all had high expectations for them, but those two losses definitely got a lot of team, got a lot of people to not claim them and to run away from them, but I think they should be given a chance, a legitimate chance to fight back into the top ten and fight for a nice uh New Year's Day playoff game. Or not playoff game, maybe a bowl game. Cotton bowl, whatever else is the orange
1: bowl, whatever else they have a chance at, I think they should be legitimately considered. So yeah, no, I, I think that they're definitely in that conversation and honestly what's crazy is that no one is really talking about them at all Mm -hmm. like spent every week like spencer rattler used to get um you know everybody used to rag on him because um because of how he played the turnovers Mm -hmm. etc and now he's playing great and like there there's no praise to be found it's it feels like everybody's forgotten about them and i think Come next year, maybe maybe not this year. Obviously, they're gonna make a bowl game of some sort, and they're gonna have their opportunity to prove themselves there. Still, a lot of talent on this team, but next year, we're I, I think we're gonna see the the real potential of Oklahoma and, and Spencer Rattler. I I I never bought into the idea that Spencer Rattler was just gonna be bad because he had a a bad first few games. That that was just that that was not good conversation, but. Yeah, I I think this team still has a lot of potential. Maybe not this year for like a playoff spot, but next year, definitely.
0: 100%. Well, this was a good college football talk. We're definitely going to keep hammering college football. But let's move on to the NBA now because we have a couple of guys, a couple of very key guys that are making decisions and or teams are making decisions, but in some cases players are that is going to shake up the nba a little bit and these are two guys that shook up the nba last year when they were traded for each other so chris paul is being shot by okc we've seen a couple of destinations like the suns being mentioned and then we just found out that russell westbrook wants hit, wants out of houston now nick for both of these guys what do you see where do you see them landing where do you see them making an impact and or are they just going to go back to their teams? Is there, a, uh, is there a scenario in which they head back to Houston and OKC, respectively?
1: I, I don't think Chris Paul is going to head back to, to OKC. I think OKC is more prioritized on the rebuild now. They, they just have so much capital, man. It's unreal Like how much how much they have going for them in the future. So they don't really need to hang on to CP3 like that. To to really build their success, like CP3 being there would would literally just be like, you know, it it would just be like a bonus. Like, oh, we can compete during these years, and you know, while we're stacking up all these draft picks and, and all these young players that we're gonna have a squad for in a few years. So, yeah, I guess there's there's some value in that, but I feel like there's more value for the Thunder and CP3 in going to a place like the Suns and. The Suns, man, do you remember like every year I used to say the Suns are about to be good and I felt like I was always one year short and it feels like the front office is finally believing on what they have in front of them, you know, after that, that stretch in the bubble, they're really seeing the potential of this team and and the the ceiling of this team and you add a guy like CP3 in there, it's going to make your team better instantly. People have already mentioned like the connection that could be built between him and DeAndre Ayton, how CP3 could elevate his game. And we've seen it. OKC okay, see. CP3 is the type of player that elevates the play of everyone around him. And I think it would be such a great fit. And yeah, I, I, I think that would be crazy. If you if you want to talk more on that or Russ, you can go ahead. I'll take over Russ
0: because I'm a big Russ guy and I still think he has value in this league. Maybe it's not the same value a guy like KD or one of the top, top players are going to bring to your team, but he still has value. He's still a fantastic athlete, one of the best players we still have, one of the top 10 to 15 guys in the league. His athleticism, his quickness, his speed is still unmatched, even as he's getting a bit older. I don't even think he's that old. He's still, I think, about 30 years old, so still more basketball to go. He's been a guy who's been kind of kicked around as a guy who is inefficient and doesn't have the same drive—not His drive never gets questioned, but doesn't have the same impact that a guy like Steph Curry does or somebody else like that. I think it's a bit unfair. And I think that it's weird seeing him one out of Houston because I thought Houston was going to be a good fit for him because he's got shooters all around him. James Harden's one of the best shooters in the league. They're a three-point shooting team. They play small ball. I thought that was the perfect fit for him. I guess D'Antoni going out, Daryl Morey being out. I think that's kind of throwing the Rockets in a different direction. But I think Westbrook should stay with the Rockets because I think that's still the best fit for him, the best chance for him to win a championship. And I know that gets laughed at. I know the Rockets aren't seen as a team that could compete with the Lakers because the Lakers took care of them very easily in the semifinals this year. But I think the Rockets are still a good destination for him. I think they still have ways to build around him and Harden. And whether it be through the draft, whether it be through you know signings and free agency that aren't the big splash names but are still reliable depth guys. I've thrown out Danilo Gallinari on a previous podcast. I don't know where I threw him to for what team, but I think him going to the Rockets would be something great. He could work with Russell Westbrook again. He'd be a perfect shooter for the kind of style they play. There's still moves to be made for the Rockets. And I think him staying with Houston is probably...
1: The best fit stylistically Um. Yeah. I, I when I look at Russ and I. I don't know what other team really needs him unless you need a, a bona fide star like you. You want to start your team and you want to build around Russell Westbrook for a few years. That's the only like condition I could see in, in which like Russ goes a play goes to another place and thrives because. You know, the, it's been said about the Clippers possibly being interested in him. And I just don't know how much that would be, like you said, a stylistic fit for him compared to, to Houston. I, I think he works well with James Harden. I agree with you on that. And James Harden just recently said that I, I think the report came out today that he he's in for the long haul with Houston. So I got to feel like that has some sway on, on Russ as well. You know, if this guy's staying here, I'll stay here and we can win a championship together because they are good friends. They've been teammates since they came into the league. So it's going to be really tough to see, you know, how Russ gets out of Houston and if he gets out where he's going to go and and where he has a better chance to, to win a championship or whatever he's seeking. It's crazy, man. NBA is
0: sneaking up on us. We th- we just finished short- the finals, and now we're gonna have
1: December twenty first, twenty second. The shortened off season has me shook. Like I feel like it's gonna be rapid fire, like absolute nonsense, and I'm not ready for it. To be honest, like a lot of things could happen. You're not ready. Think about,
0: think about these free. Hold on. Think about these free agents. I know you just brought up Oladipo. He's a, free, he's a free agent, right? Or he's being shopped. Uh
1: yeah. Whatever the case
0: shopped. is. Yeah. So whatever the case is, these teams and these players were free agents have a month to decide what they want to do. So it is really crazy. They have such a short time. Think about if you, this is the year you're going to supposed to sign a long-term contract, which Anthony Davis is supposed to do. I mean, obviously his decision's a lot easier than pretty much every other free agent. But think of this is the year you won your four or five year deal. You have a month to do it and you have probably not even a month. You realistically probably have like a two week window to where teams are really interested in trying to make moves and shift their team around. So you pretty much have two to three weeks, maybe of figuring out your future. So I, I just think it, this is going to be a
1: wild, shortened off season. The. The thing is, I I think trades are going to take the center stage because when it comes to free agents, I think some free agents will, you know, will want to go because Fred VanVleet already said today, he he wants to get paid. He he already got his ring, so he's going somewhere to get paid. But a lot of these players are are players that are that have options, that have player options and team options. So those might get picked up and, you know, just for the aura of like, comfort of staying with the team for one more season, not having to rush everything. I think that's going to be very appealing to some players um, in this offseason. But I could see some rapid-fire trades. Like I said, Victor Oladipo is being shopped. Bradley Beal is being shopped. And some of these teams see this as the year they can get their ring, like the Nets, the Clippers, teams that have been you know, involved in all of these trade talks that have been swirling around so i think that's going to be those are going to be the big prizes and and the suns uh, uh, we just talked about the suns suns getting cp3 i think the suns genuinely think they have a shot at winning the west (laughs) after uh, maybe no one else believes that like i said maybe no one else believes that but i think after they saw what they saw um down that stretch they were very encouraged and they want to surround this team with as much talent as they possibly can, as soon as they can. So I am definitely not ruling out the Suns in any of these equations either. So it's going to be wild. It should be crazy. Nick, we'll wrap up here. We hope you guys enjoyed this
0: podcast. We hope you check out our other podcasts and we hope you stick with us and we will see you next time. Peace.